great honor and humility, I accept this nomination for President of the United States of America. That was the voice of former Vice President Joe Biden formally accepting the Democratic Party's nomination for president last night. Welcome to Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson. We are going to spend most of the hour today talking about the Democratic National Convention, about Joe Biden's now uh, last minute uh, push and campaign into the fall for president of the United States. And we are going to talk about the role that black voters are likely to play in this election. But first, I want to thank all the folks who came out for our second virtual book club event last night. This summer, we have been reading Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison and talking about it here on the show, online and on Facebook. And we have been holding these virtual book club meetings because we cannot do them in person. Last night, we were joined by Valerie Prince, an associate professor of African-American studies at Wayne State University and someone who has written a lot about Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man. We had a really great conversation about women and the role of women in that book, also about all of the other themes that echo so loudly right now in our time. And so thanks very much to everyone who joined. We will have one more virtual book club event next Thursday, August 27th at 8 p.m. You can find out more about that at WDET.org slash events. Okay, black voters under 30 could decide Joe Biden's fate and black voters critical to Democrats in Midwestern battlegrounds. These are just a couple of the headlines that are circulating online this week as the Democratic Party has virtually gathered for their national convention. For years now, there's been a lot of chatter about how black Americans are the base and the core of the Democratic Party. And while that is true, that notion can create a monolithic paradigm that's not only damaging, but also dangerous. So today we want to spend some time looking at the diversity of experiences and attitudes and beliefs within that black Democratic voting bloc. And joining us to talk about this is Cheryl Layard. He, she is a political scientist at Bowdoin College and the co-author of Steadfast Democrats, How Social Forces Shape Political Black Political Behavior. Professor Laird, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Also with us is Greg Bowens, a political and communications consultant, founder and past president of the Gross Point Harper Woods NAACP. Greg, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Stephen. Good to be here. Yeah. So let's start with the convention itself and the speech that Joe Biden gave last night. I'm curious how those things uh, landed on on your ears. Uh, Cheryl Laird, I'll start with, with you. What did you think of what Joe Biden said last night, accepting the nomination? Um, I thought what he did was very good. It touched on some key things in terms of where he would be on particular policy, specifically around COVID-19, dealing with things regarding race relations, um, as well as speaking to issues around climate change. I thought I was surprised when he opened up with a quote from Ella Baker. Like, I thought that was fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, and again, is doing a lot of the work that has not been done in the past by the party to recognize its loyalist uh, base of supporters, which has been African-American women. So I thought he did an excellent job. Hmm. Uh, Greg, what did you what did you make of the speech? I thought it was uh, the, the, pretty much the same kind of thing. One of the things that I found really interesting about it was 
this ability to try and give people a sense of hope, uh, a way to sort of categorize what's happening today as sort of like our 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 time of darkness, you know, <laughs> and 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 how like by saying that that this is a particular time and this too shall pass, we can make it pass, and so I, you know, black folks, we've we've you know been through a lot. Uh, in the history of America. And I think that historically, for those of us who are African American, we're kind of born into this idea of an ebb and a flow, hmm. you know? And this was definitely one of the ebbs <laughs> <laughs> that we're in right now. And I, and, and so his speech, I, I think, sort of encapsulized that and gave us an opportunity to see a light at the end of the tunnel. Hmm. Uh, so, Cheryl Laird, there are lots of things that are happening right now that make black voters probably much more interested in politics and the national election uh, than we would normally be. Um, one of them, of course, is the fact that there's a black woman on the Democratic ticket. But but give us give us a sense of going into the fall and going into this campaign, what the relationship is between black voters and the Democratic Party. What does that look like? And is the party going to be able to count on more African-Americans showing up uh, in November than they did in 2016? Here in Michigan, for instance, uh, we saw 20,000 fewer voters cast their ballots for president in Detroit than they did in 2012. Uh, a lot of people think that was the difference, and that was one of the things that delivered the state to uh, Donald Trump. Uh, talk about whether that that relationship is a little better and there's a little more enthusiasm this time. Yeah, so, um, I mean, just thinking historically about African Americans and their participation, a lot of the book um, that we focus on is talking about the history of where blacks have been within the party, right? And that they have consistently voted for the Democratic nominee um, since we look back to like the 60s and the 70s. Mm -hmm. um, and that has been um, a fairly reliable uh, loyalty to the party. And that has been a strategic decision by African-Americans in doing that. Um, and so with this now going forward, um, you know, the party has to really think about its mobilization efforts. I think in 2016, um, the reporting that I have heard was that it was lacking a bit from mm -hmm. the campaign for Clinton. I think that they were relying a bit on the fact that she was going to ride the Obama coattails in with black voters. Mm -hmm. um, there was not as much enthusiasm about Clinton as there had been about Obama, and that should have been something that would have been pretty discernible in that he is the first black president. I would not, as a social scientist, use data points from the Obama presidency as a marker of voter turnout amongst African Americans and participation, as if that wasn't a specifically unique event. Hmm. Um, that was a specific thing that occurred. That was a special case of what happened. And so African-Americans were at high levels of participation with that case because of its historic nature. So the numbers that she got then in 2016 um, seem much more comparable in my mind to the ones from 2004, um, when we had John Kerry running. And right. in that case, then you need to think about, you know, how can you get numbers that are higher than Clinton's, um, but that are not going to necessarily quite meet the bar um, of Obama. And I think Biden is in a position to do that, but really has to do on the ground efforts in key swing states to make that happen. And Cheryl, what's the message that from 
your perspective is going to resonate more with African-American voters this time. Again, the idea that Kamala Harris is on the ticket is a big plus, I think, in Joe Biden's favor. But it's also about substance and issues. What should he be saying to black voters right now? Yeah, I think one is just recognizing them. I think this has often been something that the Democratic Party has overlooked because they have been so reliant on the political behavior of African-Americans. Um, they are just kind of assuming it'll be there that you do not need to speak to their uh, issues directly. Um, oftentimes, race rhetoric um, or concerns around race relations are avoided by candidates um, or individuals because they are concerned about the optics they need to tackle that head on, right? Mm -hmm. All of the crises that we are seeing happening right now are ones that involve race kind of at the core and foundation of what's happening. So with COVID, um, the historical implications of the things and practices that have gone on with respect to segregation, um, as well as medical issues in terms of how hospitals have treated African-Americans are all coming to light within this regard. Same thing with climate change, um, as well as this issues around police brutality and Black Lives Matter. So I would not hedge my bets on those things. I would speak openly about them. And I think Harris provides him an avenue for him to do that um, in ways that often we have seen Biden kind of have missteps when he has made um, attempts to have some kinds of discussions around this. She is a great way to kind of avoid that um, because she can do that work uh, better and is more um, understanding and, and, and clear on African-Americans and, and a lot of the issues that are concerning of the group because of her own upbringing and socialization. Mm. Um, so they should do that and, and feel comfortable doing that because I think the focus of them trying to flip um, Republican voters, like white Republican voters who support Trump to them, I, I think that it's less likely to occur. What they really want is their base to turn out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Greg, yeah. I want to go back to 2016 with you as well. Uh, you're somebody who's worked on political campaigns and political strategy here in Michigan and Southeast Michigan for a long time. Talk about what happened four years ago and whether we're in a different position with black voters because of the ticket this time or because of the issues. Are we going to see turnout jump up again? You know what? I believe that we will. What happened four years ago was just simply this idea that uh, that uh, the black vote was being taken for granted, that mm -hmm. it was Hillary Clinton's turn. And so therefore, we should all just sort of go along, you know, with for the ride, as it were. And so that left her pretty susceptible to some of the things that uh, that her husband was responsible for in terms of the growth of the um, the prison industrial complex, the uh, predator comment, mm -hmm. you know, and things of that nature. And this time around, it seems that there may be a small undercurrent of that as it relates to uh, Senator Harris and her activities as the uh, as the as the prosecutor for the state of California. But she makes up for that in the very ways that the professor is talking about in ways that Joe Biden, whom I think everybody likes, Uncle Joe, mm -hmm. Crazy Joe, you know, <laughs> where I mean, he said in his speech, you know, her story is the American story when talking about Kamala Harris and that she knows about all the obstacles thrown in the way of so many in our country. Women, black women, he said, black mm. Americans. And then he goes on to name everybody else, South Asians, immigrants, you know, folks left behind. Whereas when Kamala 
uh, was speaking directly about it. She she put it in a way that only a sister could put it that could be relatable for so many black folks. She said, and I quote, my mother instilled in my sister, Maya, and me the values that would chart the course of our lives. She raised us to be proud, mm. strong black women. Mm -hmm. And she raised us to know and be proud of our Indian heritage. But that, that, that speaking directly of being proud, strong black women is, uh, I think, got to a lot of folks. Mm. And mm. so she's embracing her blackness in a way that allows for people who sat the election out to be a part of what's going on and cheer it. You know, she's representing us and she's doing it in a way that there leaves no question as to who she thinks she is. And, and, and in terms of, you know, a person, her blackness, her heritage. And uh, and there's a fierceness on that. So I think that I think that what what she's given us is what the Democratic Party couldn't give us the last time around. Yeah. And that is a reason to be proud and feel a part of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And my dog Coco in the background agrees with everything that I'm saying. <laughs> That's right. Enthusiastically <laughs> agrees, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. My guests are Cheryl Laird, an assistant professor of government and legal studies at Bowdoin College and author of Steadfast Democrats, How Social Forces Shape Black Political Behavior. Also with me is Greg Bowens, political and communications consultant, founder and past president of the Gross Point Harper Woods NAACP. We're talking about the Democratic National Convention and how it just concluded last night with Joe Biden's acceptance speech for the nomination for president of the United States. We're talking about what will happen in the next few months as the Democrats make their case to America to unseat Donald Trump as president of the United States. Uh, what do they need to do in particular, to appeal to black voters who are a core constituency of the Democratic Party, often are the difference between a victory and a defeat. Certainly in 2016, we saw black voters sit home in higher numbers than they had in 2012 or 2008. And that was one of the things that delivered the White House to Donald Trump. What will happen this year? And what does Joe Biden need to do with his campaign to appeal more to black voters. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what you made of the convention and the speeches and the spectacle. All of it online this year, of course, because of the pandemic. Uh, also, give us a call and tell us what you think the case is that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris need to make to America generally and to black voters in particular. What should they be saying? What issues should they be focusing on? What solutions should they be coming up with? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. And you can put comments on Twitter and hashtag them with the trade today. And we'll try to work them into the conversation. Before we go to phones and uh, online and social media, uh, I want to play a clip from Kamala Harris's acceptance speech uh, for the vice presidential nomination this week at the uh, Democratic National Convention. Let's listen to what she said. There is no vaccine for racism. We've got to do the work. 
for George Floyd, for Breonna Taylor, for the lives of too many others to name, for our children. Let's fight with conviction. Let's fight with hope. Let's fight with confidence in ourselves and a commitment to each other, to the America we know is possible. Very bright tones in that section of Kamala Harris's speech, very hopeful tones being struck there by the woman who would be vice president. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. Call and tell us what you thought of her speech, of Joe Biden's speech. What did you think of Michelle Obama or Barack Obama, both of whom appeared at the Democratic National Convention? Uh, Let's go to Ruby in Ferndale. Ruby, what's on your mind? Good morning. I would like to um, offer that um, as an African-American woman, definitely over the last uh, four years, I have been connecting more with um, other um, African-American people who, who deal with the spirituality of the situation. So I was very pleased to hear um, Joe Biden mention love and light and hope. Hmm. So... You know, that has to be part of the mix, you know, and in my heart, I reach out to those who are perhaps um, on the racist side of things. Mm-hmm. I reach out to them within, in my heart because I know it has to do with some level of blindness or darkness. Mm that um, allows them to not see their own humanity and then in turn the humanity of other beings on the planet. Hmm. Ruby, I really appreciate the call and and your reaction uh, to what's happened in the last four years and what we're hearing as the conventions get started for this year's election. Uh, Cheryl Laird, I want to ask you about the last four years and the things that we've seen happen, the things that we've heard come from Donald Trump's mouth uh, about black people, about black issues, and whether that is the kind of motivator that would bring more people out in and of itself. I mean, I think that's a pretty cynical view of politics, that people vote uh, because they're afraid or because they're angry. Uh, but it's also somewhat true that that uh, in some cases it's not necessarily about the person you're voting for, but maybe the person that you're voting against. How powerful will that influence be in 2020? Um, I think it's a, it's quite a powerful thing, right? Um, so African-Americans' uh, participation in politics, we tend to be uh, pro-partisan, right? So we vote with the Democratic Party because we believe in the party's ability to allow for us to achieve a lot of the concerns and address a lot of the things that relate to interests of the black community, right? And also allows us access to power, um, elections, right, in terms of gaining access to Congress and things like that. So that's a big thing. But at the same time, right, the polling and the data that we've been seeing as well has also said that a lot of African-Americans, like more than half of them, um, have a reporting even in the primary season, right, that their support 
for um, Biden was with the idea that they need to get Trump out of office. So that is a big motivator and I think um, is an important part of what we will see as we go closer and closer to the election, right? Because with the turnout questions that are going on and the mobilization questions that are going on, um, I think people will be even more committed to getting themselves out to vote than we've probably seen um, from four years prior um, because they're going to want to get him out of office. But now they're going to have to go up against a lot of hurdles, right? So now we have the mail-in voting things. We're dealing with the pandemic, right? Um, and, and even going to go vote uh, in person is going to be something where we know in black districts often leads to hours and hours of wait time because of the practices that often are related to things like voter suppression. Hmm. So, but... With all that said, I think Trump will serve as a motivator to keep people standing there in line, like um, people or people turning in their ballots. I think it will be a, a motivator for individuals, and, and it's already just kind of going to be dovetailing onto the pro-partisan behavior of African Americans, and now having a black woman on the ticket itself um, also uh, a mobilizing factor. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Cheryl Laird and Greg Bowens, and we will get to more of your calls as well. Sean in River Rouge, Tim in Detroit, Mark in Redford Township. We will hear from you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, I'm glad you've joined us. I'm talking with Cheryl Laird, an assistant professor of government and legal studies at Bowdoin College, and Greg Bowens, a political and communications consultant. We're talking about the Democratic National Convention that just wrapped up last night with Joe Biden's acceptance speech to be the Democratic nominee for president this year. We're talking about that convention. We're talking about the Democrats and their message this fall and what they need to do to make that message resonate with African-American voters who are one of the cores of the Democratic Party. As always, we would love to hear from you about how you took in the things that you heard at the convention this week and what you're thinking going into the fall. What do the Democrats need to say to get your vote in November? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work them into the show. I want to start this segment with another clip from the Democratic National Convention. One of the most powerful speeches was delivered by somebody who's not on the ballot and never has been on the ballot. Michelle Obama, of course, was the first lady for eight years, and she gave a real stem winder this week during the Democratic National Convention. Let's listen to just a little of it. Let me be as honest and clear as I possibly can. Donald Trump is the wrong president for our country. He has had more than enough time to prove that he can do the job, but he is clearly in over his head. He cannot meet this moment. He simply cannot be who we need him to be for us. It is what it is. I understand that my message won't be heard by some people. We live in a nation that is deeply divided, and I am a 
black woman speaking at the Democratic convention, but enough of you know me by now. You know that I tell you exactly what I'm feeling. You know I hate politics, but you also know that I care about this nation. You know how much I care about all of our children. If you think things cannot possibly get worse, trust me, they can and they will if we don't make a change in this election. If we have any hope of ending this chaos, we have got to vote for Joe Biden like our lives depend on it. Stirring words from Michelle Obama, former first lady of the United States during the Democratic National Convention. Uh, let's go back to the phones here. Mark in Redford Township, what's on your mind? Hello, Stephen. Hey. Hello, Professor and Greg. Uh, my comment is that I watched the acceptance speech of uh, Joe Biden last night. Then they segued real quick to um, uh, people uh, in various communities throughout the United States particularly uh, drive-in theaters. And that kind of sent a message to me that um, if those people could be mobilized, you know, to, to rally for Joe Biden, then I think it's kind of an inspiration for others to, uh, to rally as well. Hmm. Uh, yeah. What was the, what in your mind, Mark, was the appeal of Biden's speech? Who did you think he was speaking to? Well, his passion for wanting to get things done um, uh, in place of our, this current administration and to speak to the people about taking us out of um, this economic mess that we're in. And, you know, to, and first, of course, as he emphasized, to uh, alleviate the effects of this pandemic you know, as best we can. Mm. Mark, I really appreciate the call uh, and the thoughts. Let's go to Sean in River Rouge. Sean, welcome to the yeah. show. Good morning. How are all of you? Good. All right. So my thoughts about last night, I particularly was not a Joe Biden fan prior to last night. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed um, the real day show with his children and Bo's story and the history of his biography moving forward. Um, I wasn't suited to him or Kamala as a peer just because of their track record and their history as far as legislation goes. Um, and I'm kind of left-wing, progressive, and AOC, um, Elizabeth Warren was my candidate. Um, but after last night, I truly believe that he gets it now and that he knows that he has to be held accountable if he does not do what he said he's going to do. And for that reason, I'm I'm sticking with Joe and Kamala. Yeah, yeah, Sean, that's a that's a really interesting perspective. You know, I, I I hear a lot from listeners on this show about their doubts about Joe Biden. That's a, a pretty common theme here on on Detroit today and throughout the primary. We of course heard lots from people who were supporting other candidates, including Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders. And the the, the real question was whether. Those folks could get on board with a Biden nomination for for president. Uh, and uh, you're suggesting that, at least in your case, the convention and the speech that he gave was effective in in that way. Uh, Greg Bowens, uh, talk about the effectiveness of this particular convention, the lineup at this convention. 
and the culmination, this speech that uh, that Joe Biden gave last night, does it win over enough Democrats who were supporting other candidates? That's one of the the, the real questions that that's out there, and that's true of of course African Americans as well. Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, yesterday was my wife's uh, birthday, my wife Jill's birthday. Oh, happy and birthday! Today, <laughs> right? And today is her mother, my mother-in-law, Penny Thomas's birthday. And both of them, I know for their birthday, what they want more than anything else is to get rid of Trump. <laughs> uh, and 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 what we've seen from this convention was a view of the Democratic Party and a view of America that we normally don't get to see at a regular convention hmm. where everybody's bunched up and you're just panning, you know, this giant. Uh, auditorium of people from around the country what uh, because those video clips on the roll call and you had people from the Virgin Islands and Samoa and you know middle America and it was like wow I didn't even know I forgot about that territory you know (laughs) (laughs) and and that gave us uh, such a bigger view and an opportunity to see just how diverse and vast this country is I think part of that was kind of inspiring for folks and I don't know how we're, we will recapture that should we ever go back to an arena. There has to be a way to do it. The other thing, though, that's kind of lost is, is, is that feeling of energy that you get when you have an arena full of people. Now, Joe's, Joe's issue and what he's been singing since he got into this race has been Kumbaya, we can all do this. I can work with everybody. <laughs> and that sort of uh, uh, caused him to stumble sometimes when people pointed out that he's worked with some of these racist bigots in the past, you know, to get things done. And, you know, none of us really want to see that. We just want them to be buried in the past. The other thing, though, is is that with Kamala on the ticket, that seems to balance it out in some kind of way. Having Barack and Michelle Obama come on and speak and that clip that you played of the former first lady was a powerful thing. But I got to be honest with you. They're sort of looked at as the uh, Will Smith couple, you know, hmm. the crossover couple that was able to bring uh, America together in ways in a Jackie Robinson sort of way that we haven't seen before. Um, uh, you can't, you know, cause break, make too many waves. You can't hmm. do too much, you know. Uh, because you're the first black hmm. and uh, and the further we get away from an Obama presidency, uh, you know, like every president, his positives go up. But black people tend to feel a little more comfortable in being able to talk about the shortcomings that had happened, like didn't do enough for black folks and that kind of thing. Right. Didn't do enough on the progressive front and all that stuff. Uh, and, and so and so what this what Joe Biden did last night. Uh, is to remind us <laughs> that he's still, you know, willing to work with these folks, <laughs> you know, to get things done, hmm. and uh, and that's and 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 that's kind of a cautionary tale. That's not the thing that's going to fire up black folks. Huh. And I got to tell you, man, that uh, as far as Democrats go, we haven't seen a, a presidential candidate win the white vote. In, in uh, 50 some years. Yeah. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. You know, and so appealing to uh, appealing to the sentiments of, of white people is is uh, purely from that perspective is a losing strategy. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're big fans of Ibrahim Kendi. I know you are. And that brother has laid it out and stamped from the beginning and how to be an anti-racist, yeah. that you cannot love your way through racism. You cannot educate your way through racism. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you have got to uh, people have got to understand that it is a self-interest that perpetuates racism yeah. and these institutions. And so, you know, this this touchy feely thing ain't going to work, man. Yeah. The Republicans, uh, they don't they don't want to work with us. Uh, that's a, I mean, that, that, that's a really powerful Point. And and Cheryl Laird, I, I would love to have you respond to that. Is is the approach that we see from the black faces in the Democratic Party not appealing to the sort of core and guttural black uh, desires and and instincts, political instincts, the things that, that black people want and feel like they need for their communities? Is there a, that disconnect that Greg is talking about uh, that could cost them in November? Um, at times there has been, right? Like I think he, he raises excellent points um, about where white voters have shifted. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we were in a much more polarized political environment than we've really ever been in history um, with the two-party system. And so white voters um, who are potentially disenchanted with the ways in which the Democratic Party has um, defined its coalition, um, many of them are moving to the Republican Party or, or consolidating around the Republican Party because they seem to be speaking to things that are of more interest to them mm-hmm. on a various types of policies, social issues, and particularly race relations. Um, so, you know, the Democratic Party has to be careful of how much um, they devote time to only potentially trying to target, you know, swing white voters um, who don't seem like somewhat of a captured electorate, electorate or right, an independent white voters. Um, and they need to, they obviously need to do some of that work. But sometimes I think there has been a history and a precedent of them doing so at the sacrifice of other members of their coalition, right. particularly those who are the most consistent and reliable voters of their base, which include black and brown voters. Um, so so if they're going strategy-wise now into November, they should definitely be placing more emphasis on that. If they can turn out those voters, as we saw in the Obama election, you can win the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did not have a majority of white voters behind him, right? That that was definitely a brown, black, um, Asian coalition of people who really made that possible. Uh, so they need to place some emphasis there. Yeah. You know, you know the other dynamic that I think is at work here and will be on full display next week during the Republican National Convention is that party's turn toward absolute sort of uh, unabashed racism. I mean, you know, it's a party that that has serious problems on race and has for a long time, but it's always been kind of a wink and nod uh, public face that they have they have shown the president changed that pretty dramatically over the last four years and if you look at the lineup for next week I mean you've got this this couple from St Louis who you know saw a peaceful march you know when winding down their street and comes out of their house with with guns to point at the at the protesters they are getting a speaking slot at the Republican National Convention. I mean, this this turn toward an almost George Wallace type campaign mm-hmm. uh, by the president, I think, also could end up firing up black voters to come out and and again, uh, just to get rid of uh, just to get rid of this president, Cheryl. 
Yes. No, I, I think that that's uh, an important thing to note, too. Um, it is like a rehashing of the Southern strategy, yeah. essentially. Right. It is very George Wallace-esque. I think Trump is um, pretty embracing of it uh, in in ways that I think in this time period we would have thought were like would not be possible. Um, so it's moved from these implicit signals, kind of, as you said, a wink and a nod to race to now these more explicit, um, very strong um, and, and open statements about people's problems with certain racial groups or um, um, certain things that they see being promoted, like, for instance, Black Lives Matter. Um, and, and so that is a decision by the Republican Party. And I, I, I think if I was a, a part of that party, I would be asking questions about longevity mm-hmm. um, for mm-hmm. the party itself in the future, right? Like what, because for prior to this, right, um, and, and, in the, and at least a couple of the decades prior, the Republican Party was actually trying to do some work to change their image. Yeah. Right, that they felt that there was an effort that they could possibly do that would allow for them to appeal to some black voters, because there are conservative blacks. Um, there are also progressive blacks. There sure. are black moderates, like we are diverse right. in our political spectrum. There are also um, conservatives in other communities, and that, that there was an opportunity there. And we saw them kind of do some of that back in like 2000 at their convention, um, in some of the uh, conventions in the early 2000s, just broadly construed. They were making some symbolic, at least, gestures towards that. Mm. And this has changed. Um, and so, you know, they have to think about what that means and what they embody going forward, because it is becoming a party that is being associated very heavily um, with and is populated by white members of the electorate. Right. Yeah. And that is a that is a significant thing. Right. Yeah. For the long term for the party. Yeah. And my son also agrees with that. <laughs> <laughs> we have many, many guests on the show today. <laughs> uh, let's go back to the phones here. Uh, Michael in Livonia. Michael, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, Steven. Thank hey. you for taking taking my call. Sure. Um, um, I, I watched the convention from bell to bell, wire to wire. Uh, it was it was very impressive. Uh, the stories were real. The people were real. Um, and you know, but my, my issue is they don't have to worry about my vote. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, Fox News is the number one station in the country. Mm. They have the number one program in the country. And uh, that's that's the issue. Uh, 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 people are not willing to uh, listen to each other. Uh, I think Biden did a wonderful job. His speech was phenomenal. Uh, I think Michelle did a wonderful job. As a matter of fact, pretty much everyone uh, that contributed to the uh, convention was did a marvelous job. I was really impressed. Brought the tears by a young man who had the stuttering issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it was a it was a wonderful convention. Um, but the bottom line is uh, there's 47 percent that's going Republican, another 48 percent is Democrat, and that 5 percent in the middle is the ones that have to be uh, convinced, and that's what he has to go after. I think Biden made a good case. It's pretty obvious that the man sitting in the White House right now is incapable of empathy. He does not know what he is doing, but uh, he has enough pants and enough people being complicit that he can get away with this. I mean, it's just, it's, 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 you know, it's, yeah. it's enough pain. It's been so, Michael. Years. So, Michael, yeah, tell ahead. me quickly because uh, I need to end the segment. But, but, yes. what do you think will happen? Do you think the Democrats will be able to close the deal with voters? I, I believe so. I believe people of reason are going to show up at the polls. Uh, 
I'm, I, I, you know, I know I'll be there with bells on. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was going to vote absentee, but I, I think I'm just going to go in person. Yeah. Uh, just, just, you know, but I do think the Democrats can pull up, but it's going to be a tight race. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of contention, a lot of legal wrangling yeah. uh, to, to determine who is the president. It's not going to be a slam dunk. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be ugly. It's going to be tight. It's going to get, yeah. really, it's mm-hmm. it's going to get real ugly after next week. Yeah. Michael, I, I I really appreciate the call uh, and the thoughts. Uh, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, I want to really thank Cheryl Laird, Assistant Professor of Government and Legal Studies at Bowdoin College, for being here. It was really great to have you with us. Thanks very much for coming by. Thank you for having me. And Greg Bowen's political and communications consultant. Always great to talk with you as well. Thank you very much. Okay. Okay, we're going to take another break. and we come back, we are going to talk about the Jazz Fest coming up in just a few weeks. It's going to be all digital this year, digital and broadcast. But it will still be the Jazz Fest that we have come to love here in the city of Detroit. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.